Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Welcome to episode 513 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, how's your Lamborghini doing? Uh, it's firing on all cylinders, so I'm yeah. good. <laughs> you had uh, tweeted out earlier this week that story of the person who ran some sort <laughs> of uh, COVID check scam to get a Lamborghini. Right. Yes. Or imitating life, you know? That is right. That's the way to get one. That was an opportunity, Joe. Certainly is an opportunity. (laughs) I try to stay away from every opportunity I can, you know? (laughs) Me too. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Um, San Diego didn't happen, but (laughs) there was still some news and stuff. Because, uh, of course, the solicitations for November came out. Uh, whether we have a crossover between two popular, I guess you would call them horror books, uh, possibly an event that somehow maybe deals with that. Mm-hmm. At DC, who knows? Um, Donnie Kate's new crossover uh, with an interesting little tidbit that I was unaware of until we started recording the show. Uh Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips possibly getting ready to change the way that comics are done in 2021. And last but not least, uh, when to take a moment before you go and say something on social media. Mm -hmm. Be like me. Have me run your social media, everyone. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, There's conventions this weekend, Todd. There is. Uh, digital books and sales, of course, what we've read from this past week, Batman number 95 and Wind number two from Boom Studios, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, Todd's Art Attack and discussion of the latest episode of the Stargirl television show. What do we got? Two episodes left on this? Yes, I believe this was episode 11 that yes. we watched. So. Yes, so let's get into... The Sandman Lock and Key crossover. Right. Coming from IDW. We had talked about it a couple months ago when it was first teased. Uh, But now it's getting a zero issue, uh, which is going to be a reprint of a Lock and Key one-shot and issue 22 of Sandman from the Seasons of the Mist story arc. Right. Very interesting that they're giving us primers on those two books in particular, of course, to get us ready for this. Now, I've never read Lock and Key. I hear it's very good. Have you read Lock and Key? I have not read Lock and Key, but I, like you said, I have a long list of people who tell me to read Lock and Key. So I don't know if I could get it all in before then, um, because I believe there's five or six trades, but... Uh, I do want to read it. Right. So the Lock and Key Sandman crossover is written by Joe Hill with art by Gabriel Rodriguez in consultation with Neil Gaiman. So obviously <laughs> this project has his blessing. 
Uh, right. And I'm sure his blessing went on a big check to go along with said <laughs> consultation. Mm-hmm. Be that as it may, uh, I don't know. I might check this out. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to be too lost on the lock and key stuff, you know? I'm the same way, and I'm not 100% sure because I have the dreaming run that came out of uh, that came out recently. So, but I haven't read all of that because the pandemic happened and I was storing those up and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm probably going to buy this book, but sit on it and reread a read, not reread, but read lock and key and then read this one. Just get it anyway. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. cause it's got Sandman's name on it and I pretty much collect everything with Sandman. So it, it's a it's almost a definite on my list, but in a weird way, almost not a definite read because it's, you know, the time that's going to be needed to get caught up. So it's a weird book, but definitely picking it up. Now, the one uh, that I would get, of course, first would be this uh, uh, the Lock and Key Sandman crossover just because it does have Neil's blessing. And now there's speculation, of course, because in the most recent previews, uh, DC doesn't get to be part of that anymore. They have their own separate digital thing, but there was a page that just said December 2020, Endless Winter. No other information, no creative teams, no anything else, and that has people speculating that this will be DC finally pulling the trigger on all the different times over the past how many years that they've dabbled the Sandman universe into the regular DC universe. Like I recall all the way back to Daniel uh, of the Endless, that version of Dream being in multiple issues of Justice League. Um, yeah, you mean the not the because I know Justice League International characters were in Sandman, but there was that storyline where, it, like, just only a few years ago that he that Daniel was in uh, Justice League, and there was also a whole action comics issue where death showed up i remember that right that was when they like they did the year where it was like lex luther was the star of action comics and yep she showed up there but i think there was one even further back where daniel showed up in issues of justice league uh like jla quote unquote and just like never anything materialized with it and then i think they hit it again more recently and a lot of people are speculating this is maybe them attempting to do this finally. I don't think so. I'd like to think not. I think if DC was doing something like this, they wouldn't have killed off the Vertigo line. They wouldn't have changed the Vertigo line to the Sandman Presents line and then cancel all of those books coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they would do a little bit more tooting of their horn if they were able to do something again with the endless characters on such a large scale. Right. And there's also a different angle that I'm thinking about. It might be nothing to do with Vertigo. It might be with a character called Dolores Winters, who was a, a Golden Age character, who was... Do you remember the Ultra Humanite? That of character? course I remember the, the Ultra Humanite. Yes. The, uh, with the, the, yeah. Right. Well, he at one point was in the body of some woman called... Uh, put his brain in Dolores Winters, and then she... There's a whole like convoluted history, but at one point she ended up coming back and she was uh, looking to be younger and younger in her body. And she ended up, there was a ice 
uh, from Justice League International knockoff called Ice Maiden, who had like this alabaster skin, and she ended up stealing that skin and it becoming immortal. Like she killed Ice Maiden, and her name went by Endless Winter. So, and she was kind of like a JSA villain too. So I'm wondering with the JSA, like them hinting that they're coming back and everything, that this character that like may have something to do with like an endless winter. You know what I mean? Or Captain Cold and like the ice powered characters. A lot of them. I don't know. That's just my weird take on it. Uh, it definitely could be something uh, with all of the icy characters in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Perhaps like they all decide to get together and do some sort of big icy plan. And this is where they try to recruit Captain Cold. He says, I don't do ice, I do cold. I put things at absolute zero. Get to step in sort of thing, you know? Right. Uh, Also on that, wasn't ice of fire and ice from the Justice League International originally Ice Maiden? Yes and no. Well, there was in the Super Friends comic, there was because that's where ice and fire first appeared. There was one, there, there was an Ice Maiden for an issue or two before Ice, which is Tora, and she replaced that one. And this was the one that was in the Mist one shot with, with Starman when Mist infiltrated the weird Justice League with like Metamorpho and ever, and she ended up taking her place. While Ice was dead, Ice Maiden came back, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a weird convoluted history. So, trust me, there's two There's two Ices. Uh, well, if anyone would know anything about those characters, it would be you. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so also, uh, in the image side of the solicitations, they announced a book called Crossover by Donnie Cates. Uh, and a lot of the information, Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw on art, of course, with this. Uh, The pitch for this book is an ongoing series uh, about a comic book event so big, so colossal, so huge that it breaks reality and makes its way into our own world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I think uh, Donnie Cates is someone who couldn't pull off a story like that. But the interesting bit of the news on this uh, is that the editor on the book is none other than Mark Wade. Mm-hmm. And unless I'm mistaken, this might be the first time that Mark Wade has done something at Image with Image for Image, either in a very long time or ever. I don't ever remember Mark Wade working for Image at all. I just remember him doing like Boom stuff with the Irredeemable and the and stuff like that. That what was I forget what the sister book with that was, but uh, yeah, I don't remember him doing anything from for Image. I'm looking at his uh, biblio- bibliography, and the word image does not appear anywhere on there. Right. Uh, no, my apologies. He did a co-feature in the book <sighs> Jersey Gods. Okay. And in the 2011 CBLDF uh, annual. He did a sh- an eight-page short with Jeff Lemire. Right, but was that uh, was that Image? This the scene. It was. Like... Pu- it's under the published by Image thing here on Wikipedia. 
Okay, because I'm just wondering if it's a charity book that weird like rules that it's like, oh, well, we'll publish it for free, but it's CB, you know, the Comic Legal Defense Fund book, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, I don't know. But I'll, I'll allow it, Joe, is what I'm saying. So even if we consider those, the last time that he's done something for Image has been nine years. Mm-hmm. And what he did was shorts and fill-ins and charity books. Right. Uh, so if you are doing something in a superhero-type vein and Kurt Busick is busy, I you can't really go wrong with Mark Wade. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say that they call. I'm not. This is not me saying they called Kurt Busiek and he said no. I'm just saying if I'm doing something as a big sweeping superhero epic, and I need pointers and someone to steer my path, I'm calling Mark Wade and or Kurt Busiek, neither of whom I have on any sort of speed dial or phone number. I can't even get Lamborghini to reply to a joke tweet of mine from a month ago. Ah, but Joe, you have to pick one. Mark Wade or Kurt Busick, which one's which one's getting the call first? Okay, so it depends on which way my superhero pastiche is gonna lean. If it's gonna lead more Marvel heroes, I'm calling Mark Wade. If it's gonna lead, or I'm sorry, uh, I'm gonna call Kurt Busick. If it's gonna lean more DC, specifically a Superman type pastiche, I'm calling Mark Wade. See. I'm I'm the same way, and I lead towards DC as what I want to read. And of the two writers, I like more because Mark Wade has written more like DC that I've liked, and uh, haven't read a super ton of Kurt Busiek's Marvel. And then when he did do Marvel, it was always like, oh, I'm not the the fan of this that I am of DC, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. But in the fact that I give credit to Kurt Busiek for all the completely great and original characters he created for Astro City, I give him the edge. Mm. Like, you go and you see some of those names and some of those powers, I'm glad he never gave those to Marvel or DC, and that he owns them all. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, I just think he's more creative and over the years of doing individual, independent stuff. Even though Astro City was owned by DC for a little bit, I believe it's creator owned. So, gotcha. All right. Uh, I still go. I'd probably lean Mark Wade. You know. Right. That's. I'd lean Kurt Busiek, but that's it's weird that we both go the opposite way on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mentioned, and this is kind of a late breaking one, came through the email and then filtered out to the rest of the sites. Um, Ed Brubaker has an email newsletter, and I say this all the time. Find out who your favorite creator or creators are and see if they have some sort of email mailing list, because they probably do, uh, and they and sign up for it. Like, yes, you probably get a ton of junk mail, but, like, this is important news junk mail. Um, hmm. You know, a lot of times you're going to see preview stuff, get information about what your favorite folks are up to before it gets disseminated out to the other, you know, news outlets like this dopey show, right? Right. Uh, so, uh, in the thing, it's, pub- it's you know, promoting Pulp, which comes out this week, uh, after long delays for varieties of reasons that we've gone over many, many times here. Um, but he says, and I quote, I mentioned last time I would tell you what Sean Phillips and I are working on next uh, 
in this newsletter. But because we're not quite ready for the official announcement, instead I'm just going to tell you what I can. It is a series. It won't be released in single issues. We're going to come back to that. It'll be a series of original graphic novels, each telling a complete story and star starring the same lead character. It's, some, it's something totally new that I came up with since the pandemic lockdown started, but not inspired by it at all. In fact, the opposite. A few friends that have seen it in progress are more excited about this than anything else we've ever done. Uh, Sean just turned in page 67. He's still got about half of the first book left to draw. Uh, so these are not going to be the novella format of other things. They will be longer. So the key thing being that it's not going to be single issues. It's going to be a series of graphic novels. And it looks like it's going to be something that comes out like every three to four months. Mm -hmm. Essentially taking the place of you buying single issues. Instead of you buying a $3.99 book a month, you're going to buy a $13 to $19 trade every three months or every four right. months or whatever it ends up being. Right. I'm leaning towards more because he's saying there are going to be 120 pages you know, hardcover, maybe stuff sure. like that. But go ahead. So, where I'm going with this is obviously Ed Brubaker talking about this. He's not the first person to talk about this. Um, Jimmy Palmiotti has been very public in regards to his model, where he does his three Kickstarters a year of different original graphic novels, and he does other stuff on the side, of course. And that keeps him flush in the life and the job that he does. Right. Uh, John McRae has a Kickstarter for a similar project. Uh, Dan Jurgens has talked about stuff like this. Greg Rucka has talked about stuff like this. Tim Seeley, many, many others have talked about this. That this could be and may be and will be the, the way that comics are going in the near future. And I'm not going to say Ed Brubaker is going to change the comic industry overnight. But if you have someone as big as Ed Brubaker doing this, it's going to make a lot of other people that are doing these Kickstarters to say, okay, well, listen, you know, I, I have these proof. I have this number that I could show you of me doing this Kickstarter where I put out three original graphic novels a year and have done so for the last two, three, four, five years. And that they could take that to a publisher and say, here's the stats. Cold, hard numbers. People who paid money for this project that I'm associated with. I'm bringing this to you, publisher. You publish it. And you mm. get these numbers. Guaranteed. I have these numbers to, to prove this to you. And then that's going to start the ball rolling. Now, I think you have teased online uh, that there's some sort of deal, possibly, that it looks like DC is gradually becoming a digital-only company that no one noticed. Right, right. Uh, I think that's going to be less of a transition mm -hmm. to this being a little bit easier of a transition. Like, there's always going to be a floppy monthly Spider-Man and Avengers and X-Men and Batman and whatever it else it is book. But these prestige type things like the question thing that Jeff Lemire just did, the killer smile thing, the upcoming Rorschach thing that we're going to get to here in just a moment. Mr. Miracle, Strange Adventures, things like that, those sort of things I see probably going to less single issues and just being graphic novels going forward. 
I tend to agree. The only part that I will disagree about is I believe even those at DC, like the Strange Adventures or whatever, they'll still kind of be floppy and then get the hardcover money later. But I I do believe I could see the industry changing to creator-owned or independent stuff going this line because it's much easier to sell and there's a lot where a lot of the sales are are in actual bookstores or on Amazon where you can sell the hardcover full story whatever and it's an easier sell to the non fans that we are you know so i i get that but it is much much easier for someone like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips because they have a you know wired in contract with image where it's like hey you sell you'll we'll do whatever you want where it's harder like for anybody else to do their own Kickstarters unless you have a name name, you know, like I love John McRae, but he's to me, it's not, it's, that's not going to be an easy road to hoe where Jimmy Palmiotti has that, that cachet now with a lot of stuff that he did and Harley Quinn and stuff like that. But you know, it's going to be a case by case basis. I don't know if it's going to work a lot through Kickstarter as much as I could see the indie independent companies moving over to this. And we have a whole outlet. We can move these in called bookstores. If any of that's making any sense. It is, but you know, obviously Ed Brubaker is not John McRae, but John McRae is something more than someone else. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? There's obviously a higher, like there's, there's, there's definitely a ceiling to this, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, I'm not casting dispersions on any other creator, but I'm just going to say Ed Brubaker is a proven commodity, name alone, whatever. Jimmy Palmiotti is not Ed Brubaker, but cachet that he has from Harley Quinn, hard facts of numbers of years and years of Kickstarter projects. He certainly can if he wanted to take those to a publisher. He he has chosen not to. Mm -hmm. He could. But I'm sure that there's people that are in between Ed Brubaker and Jimmy Palmiotti that may be or have done some sort of Kickstarter project or multiple Kickstarter projects that they can now maybe go to, you know, uh, a, a big publisher and not have to front that cost through a Kickstarter and say, listen, I have the proof, you know, Jimmy Palmiotti is doing this, Ed Brubaker is doing this. I've done this. We fall somewhere in between there. Right. But my take on it too is that it's easier to sell a, you know, from a company because now with Kickstarter and stuff like that, and I'm not, I I won't use anybody's names, but like if you get a a non Ed Brubaker or non Jimmy Palmiotta somewhere in between or a little below that, it doesn't matter because the first time around is because you don't know their work ethic on doing a Kickstarter. There are, bunches and bunches of creators who were respected in the industry who have kickstarters that never got finished where i would be like do i want to like if ed brubaker did a kickstarter yes or jimmy palmiotti jimmy palmiotti has the track record now but there's other ones like should i give to this fund i may never get anything down the line but if it's solicited from boom or any of the other companies i will get it you know what i mean like there's a gambling with Kickstarter. So yes. like, I, that's why I'm like, eh, I don't know about Kickstarter, man. That's, that's hit and miss. But 
be that as it may, as you say. Right. Well, and then from there, <laughs> right. and quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not Frank Quitely? No, not Frank Quitely. <laughs> quite frankly, Frank Quitely, I don't know. He did not do this cover that we're going to talk about. No, he didn't. Uh, so we talked last week about the Tom King Rorschach uh, book that's coming out from D.C., that should just be an original graphic novel, or at least two, uh, in the current climate. Definitely not just a digital-only book. But there was some controversy over it. And it was controversy that I was alerted to by Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, Tom King did not like the fact that he did not approve of someone who was doing a variant cover... Uh, for said book, saying, quote, because again, nothing is gone forever. Today, DC put out an alternate cover to Rorschach by Jay Lee, who has done covers for Comic Great Comics Gate, a hate group. A hate group. My apologies. I need more water. DC <laughs> does not consult creators on alternate covers. I reached out to them to express my deepest disappointment. Far as I'm concerned, this, and, you know, the original cover, is the only cover to this book, right? Right. Uh, so, Tom King claims that he reached out uh, to DC, his editors, whomever in charge there, to express his disappointment before doing any further research or reaching out to Jay Lee or really doing anything else. And I, I, I say this as a fan of Tom King's work, and I don't remember if I said this off mic last week or if this was on After Dark. Everything kind of melds together in my my concussion-addled brain for someone who's had no concussions. <laughs> Before I go and click retweet on something on Twitter, I click what I'm about to retweet on Twitter, and I make sure that it's real, I make sure that it's something that's relatively fact-checked, something that's not being dusted off from four to five to six to seven years ago just to kind of stir up the hornet's nest of life. And I understand that Tom King, you know, obviously should have some sort of say over who and what does alternate covers on his book, you know? Maybe it's not someone who worked for a hate group. Maybe it's someone that he just personally doesn't like. Someone that he maybe had a bad business deal with at some point in his life, and now this person is going to profit off of his quote-unquote work, right? Mm -hmm. But before Tom King tweeted that out, if he actually reached out to Jay Lee in the first place, he would have known that Jay Lee didn't even know what Comicsgate was, does not support hate of any kind, uh, was just hired to do the cover and not told what the cover was going to be for, essentially. We're all good. Best possible outcome. But he did not delete the original tweet for five days? Mm -hmm. four, four days, something like that. Um, where he then stated, as I have done privately, I'd like to publicly apologize to Jay Lee for, the, for my actions. A few days ago, I should have talked with him before I tweeted about him that put his career at risk. I made a critical mistake, and I am profoundly sorry. I will do 
what I can to repair this with Jay, and I will do better in the future. I'm not going to offer explanations because they sound like excuses. I'm not asking for forgiveness or understanding. I'm just saying, I see what I did. I'm going to try to make up for it. Thank you. I kept up the tweet to this point in order to show that I was not hiding my actions. I will take the tweets down now. Uh, now, when Todd and I talked about this over the weekend, that was the words that I was trying to get in my head as to why, after he found out that he was in the wrong, that he left the original tweet up. And I could my my like I couldn't get the words together in my head to say that it was more than likely that if he deleted the tweet, then there's no context to an apology, and then that's just going to stir things up and let people speculate. Mm -hmm. He could have just said nothing in the first place. He could have reached out to Jay Lee first before he said something. Your right. words and your actions have power. Mm -hmm. And go ahead. Sorry. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. And that was it because we were having a discussion because we were recording the the Patreon show. So that's because that happened between recordings of the main show, and I'm discussing it. And basically, once again, me trying to convey a coherent thought doesn't always work. And my problem with with what Tom King was 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 not that he you know called out uh, Jay Lee for working with you know a hate group or whatever whatever you want to say about it is that. If he was able to contact Jay Lee afterwards and burying him and being and going, well, now I'm all okay with it after the explanation, you could have worked a little harder to get the explanation before you put the tweet up. If you're okay with it now, after you've run his run, you know, run someone through the mud, to me, that's the problem because people are some people don't see the retraction whatever blah 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 he's gonna delete the tweet that's great but he did leave it up and i was like okay so you're okay with it but you're leaving the, the tweet up to tell people not to buy any book but the one that's not jay lee's and i'm like there's just a lot here to unpackage and then i was i was upset about it and then when he goes like all right i i did i kind of did jay lee wrong i'm like okay it's an apology I'm good with it. And I know I'm not explaining myself well, but I'm just like to say on top of it, like, and everything's okay now. No, you weren't the one who was wronged. And it was just done crappy to me. And like I said, if you had done your due diligence in beforehand, I, I don't know. I, I can't ever get out what I'm trying to say, but to me, this was, I lost respect for, for Tom King for a little bit. And then when he apologized, Blah, blah, I came back around. So it's it's weird, um, but it is what it is. That's all I can say. Right. I don't say nobody's perfect. You could certainly, um, you know, do a little research um, before you go and tweet something like that out. Um, you know, obviously, Tom King is a much bigger presence today in the industry than Jay Lee is today. Jay, you know, we all have our peaks and valleys in the industry. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm sure there's people that even after doing my due diligence and as much information looking into I, as I can, I was proven wrong. Even as we record this, there are certain things that I'm choosing not to retweet, even though I know them to be 1000% absolutely true. But just because I don't need the headache and hassle in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. Um, if you have a feeling like that, I always say, write that tweet up and put it in your drafts. 
mm-hmm. and come back like an hour later, two hours later. And I hate to turn this show into uh, Twitter etiquette and, you know, how to run your social media, because I've done that multiple times on After Dark. But, you know, do that. Put it in your tweets. Put it in your, your, your drafts. Come back an hour, maybe two hours later. Maybe if it's involving a certain person, maybe try to reach out to that person to clarify anything before you go and drag their name through the mud. Um, also, and this is the joke part of what I'm going to say is, uh, to all of you comic book people, wrestlers, entertainers of any kind, go and take that Tom King apology that I just um, mentioned. Go grab that and throw that in your notes app and just keep the names blank. <laughs> for when you screw up or when you get caught, because that's a really good apology that he has. Yes, it is. And you could just kind of like, oh, I didn't mean to, you know, the jokes about my giant hands started however many years ago, and then fill that in as you need to from there. Um, but yeah, I think um, even though he shouldn't have tweeted in the first place, I think he did a very good job of kind of um, taking responsibility for his actions. Right. Speaking of such, uh, that is the uh, end of the news, I would say. Yes. Uh, So we do have conventions this weekend, as I accidentally uh, closed out the (laughs) show website, but that's okay. Uh, Because there are conventions happening, Todd, in Savannah, Georgia, the Savannah Megacon. Greg Land is going to be there. And the Cottage Country Con in Orillia, Orilla, Ontario, Canada, uh, from the world of sports and entertainment. Mr. Wonderful Paula Orndorff has never said anything problematic. <laughs> going to be there. Uh, Tugboat, the Shockmaster, Uncle Fred himself is going to be there. And Jumpin' Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Blair are going to be there as well. Uh, Al Milgram is going to be there. No, that can't be correct because Al Milgram has passed away, has he not? I don't know. Last time I did this, I killed an innocent man. I'm almost certain that Al Milgram has passed away. Or I resurrected the dead. I, I have a tendency to do that, so... No, it says that he's still with us, but I, I, yes. I could have swore that he was in poor health. Right. Was it Herb Trimpey that, that I It that was I Herb Trimpey that you killed, yes. Twice. I killed him again that second time. He was already dead. So. Um, but Al Milgram is still alive. Uh, I, I really thought he was passed because I, I recall people doing like a, uh, a fundraiser thing for him. Right. Uh, but I'll say this. I'm not sure what's going on in Canada. Um... Now, see, and I'll I'll say this only because um, it does say very big across their website, Sunday, August 2nd, and then very small print at the bottom. It says, working on a new show date. Stay tuned. So that that convention's not happening. Okay. (laughs) So Al Milgram is safe yet again. Yes. I do think that's Savannah comic book convention. I was going to start questioning how people are traveling to another country during all of this. Especially some of the finest wrestlers the 80s and early 90s had to offer. In planes and boats, Joe. 
don't know if people are supposed now, now I'm going to go double check that Savannah convention. Even though they have a logo that says August 1st and 2nd, does that really mean that it's real? Well, it's got a logo, so it's got to be real. Yeah. Hope this convention doesn't crash its Corvette. Uh, it's in conjunction with the Inkton Geek t- uh, Tattoo Expo. Ooh. Okay. And okay, so now here we go. <laughs> there's no conventions this weekend, even though there's a ticker <laughs> at the top of the page that right. says the convention like starts at like this many days. You know what I mean? Right. You have to dig into their Facebook page. <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> uh from three days ago, in light of recent events and a second spike, we have decided to postpone the convention. Okay. Uh, I'm sick and tired of looking more like a fool. So, uh, convention talk is done for now. Okay, until we have, like, a definitive con. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Until one of the major cons, you know, pulls the trigger and has one, we're not reporting on any cons anymore. And I'm not editing. I could very easily just edit all this out, but I'm not. It's just that these smaller conventions need to do a better job of updating people that your conventions are still not are not happening anymore. Right. Well, they had a Facebook page, Joe. Yeah, sure. Your favorite? Maybe take the countdown down off your website. I don't know. Maybe it's the countdown to not happening. You don't know. Oh, boy. All right, well... <laughs> One thing that is still happening is the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, soon-to-be-named-network.com. All the shows in our like-minded group affiliation, et ceteras, of people and friends and acquaintances who put out podcasts and decide to put their money where their mouth is and make a fake network that doesn't really exist because (laughs) none of them are really connected other than through soon-to-be-named-network.com. Whether it be this show that you're listening to, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. I do have it on good authority that there will be no Puzzle Warriors 3 this week, sadly. Uh, Profane Arguments, Final Wrestling Place, Wednesday Night War, and At Odds with Wrestling. Celebrating their big 100th episode this week. Ooh. Woo-hoo. I'm working on a surprise for Adam that he knows about, but, like, fans don't know about. Ah. He's There may be clues in After Dark this week, is all I'm saying. Uh, Because he likes to stooge me off to stuff that makes no sense to me, so. Well, again, of course, everyone gets to hear all of his stooging on Porch Talk, the hit (laughs) sensation of the soon-to-be-named network, uh, the show that people just can't stop talking about or stop listening to or something. (laughs) Uh, I think there might even be a nod in the uh, write-up to After Dark this week to and the success that it is uh but uh links to that will be in the show notes of course as is the links to the digital sales and freebies after we have like a month of robust and hearty sales we get the dregs and the drips and the drabs here uh images sale on savage dragon stuff is still going on uh marvel is having a sale entitled the uncanny x-men legacy And DC has decided that the Super Summer Sizzler sale is done. And now they have shifted to Sandman books. Sandman. Well, I think that uh, Lock and Key book comes out next week, so. That's right. 
some sort of synergy there, I think. Right. Makes makes me think that at some point IDW will have lock and key on sale to coincide with that. Keep your eyes peeled for that sort of thing. Uh, There are tons and tons of other free books, uh, and all the links to those are there in the show post of this episode and all episodes from here to eternity. And as I always say, you never know when one day they're just going to decide that those books are no longer free. So I say add them to your library now while they're free because they can't take them away from you, I think, uh, once they're in your library. I'm almost 100% sure that they can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin, Todd? I would like to start with Batman 95, which is part one of the new storyline Joker War, uh, written by James Tinian IV, uh, art by Jorge Jimenez. Uh, basically, like I said, this is the, the kickoff to to Joker War. Joker has won the battle of the funds by robbing Bruce Wayne and his his uh, foundation blind, and uh, now Batman has to work with little to no you know support. Uh, Punch Punchline has control over Lucius Fox, and she's going through the bits and pieces of Batman's stuff and is one of his hideouts. Um, while this is going on, like Joker, Joker's attacking Batman, whittling away at what he has. Um, and the Joker has decided to, in a bout of genius, decides to buy certain things, but in one of them, he ends up buying the uh, the theater that Bruce Wayne watched the Zorro movie when he was a kid, which I think is an absolutely brilliant move um, because I've seen so many stories about, you know, the gun that killed the, the, uh, the Waynes. I've seen stories about the pearls that were ripped off from year one. I've seen like lots of other stories from the origin of Batman, but I've never heard anything really about the theater. So I want to see where this goes. And there's a real creepy interaction between the Joker and the, the, the nearly blind owner of the theater and stuff like that all around. Um, I really like this issue uh, because it's a good start to the, the Joker storyline. And I even like the fact that there's a, a hint of a, a costume, a new costume that was hinted at online and people were going crazy over because they didn't like it. And when we get an idea, I think they hint enough to know what the costume's about. It was never really ba- uh, Bruce Wayne's bag designing it. It was somebody else's. And that's why it had a more hopeful outlook to it. And I wish people didn't complain about it and that the writer had to actually explain online. He's like, it's not what you think. And, you know, just let let the story br- breathe and we'll see. But, uh, you know, once again, I, I I never have anything bad to say about Tinian's uh, Batman run. I don't want to say, and we've said this before because we do talk about Batman all the time, I don't want to say that this run, this story arc is simple. I want to say that it's straightforward. Right. Are there mysteries to it? Yes. Are they these deep, dark mysteries that are confusing and confounding? No. The pieces are there very simply for you to come upon. And I like that. I like thinking I'm smart for reading a comic book. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, these pieces, as you mentioned, about whether it be the bat suit that I actually liked, you know? Right. 
there's a reason behind it. It's been spoiled online, you know. Uh, the Joker's current machinations, Commissioner Bullock standing up to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes me want to see more and more of him in this book and, you know, give him his own separate book even, right? That's how good his characterization is in this. And I, I hate to say that this is a little bit of a cheat because I know last time that we talked about the Batman story arc that uh, the main thing of this is this is the first time that Batman is going up against the Joker or a threat of this level without Alfred. Mm -hmm. But we get a lot of Alfred remembrance in this book. A yes. little bit of a cheat that we get a little bit of Alfred in there as Bruce kind of remembers flashbacks to however you want to get there, some of the previous lessons and assistance that Alfred has given him. I'm just afraid that we're now going to see more of Alfred in this book in flashbacks or other things now that he's dead, just so that we could really hammer home the point of how important Alfred is. We know Alfred's very important. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But yeah, I do like the, 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 how important Alfred is, but I, I agree with everything that you said. Like I said, I don't know how much more we can add every time with a uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. But it's good. Uh, you know, yeah. um, like I said, we talked about it before. The James Tinian run, the way it was announced and presented and so forth, felt as though it was just going to be a fill-in, a stopgap before the next big creator came in to take over the book. And James Tinian's like, I'm going to feed this one to you, pal. I'm going to become that big creator and you ain't going to be able to get me off this book because it's going to be so good. Right. It is a different pace than Tom King's run where everything was, like, you know, layered. And this is, hey, Batman fighting... You know, the Joker, what more do you need? For sure. Uh, the other book we read from this past week, another James Tinian written thing, this time from Boom. Uh, the book entitled Wind, Issue 2, with art by Michael Dionis. I know I'm not, not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, more of a fantasy, more of a sci-fi, more of a different world, a different time, a different era in which this takes place. Uh, a world where magic exists and is to be shunned and hidden and destroyed, depending on who you are in the hierarchy of the world. Uh, the previous issue we talked about, it felt as though they introduced too much. I did like it, but I felt if we focused a little bit more on our main character, Wind, and it felt as though all these other pieces got equal footing, whereas in this issue, like the sister gets a lot more time this time around, and it's kind of shown that she's just as important as any of the other characters. Uh, but now that we're at the second story, we're getting a little bit more backstory on some of these characters, specifically of our uh, antagonist, the bandaged man, the person who is being tasked with hunting down and eliminating all the magic in the kingdom. We now have our through line, our story, Win's origin, why he needs to be saved, and so forth. And I think now, reading the two issues together, first issue a lot to take in, the two issues together, I have all the pieces I need, and I think I'm with it a little bit more than I was before. Not to say that I wasn't with it before, because I was. Right. I wasn't with it the first time around. Um, like I said, it wasn't that I disliked the story, it was that I've seen this story kind of told recently a lot, 
because of the, the you know the climate that we're in the out the outsider that nobody wants build the wall whatever so I was like okay it's not that I, I like, you know I, I don't like the story I disagree with anything it's just it's like I've seen this told a couple of times and I don't know but I stuck around for the second issue and I think what you said is right where it you know there was a lot condensed in that first issue now it has time to breathe and i'm kind of you know invested in some of these characters especially from this issue and the one that i came around on was especially like the the the, the adopted mother of of wind yes like when she does certain phrases like where she's like i'm trying to save you blah 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 but then there's like the cook and he's like go get my kids and he's like, oh, you know, it's it's a beautiful night. They're probably just off having fun, blah, blah, blah. And I get goosebumps. She's like, listen to the tone of my voice right now. Go get my kids. And there's that look like, and the art, artist does a beautiful job of like the cook going, okay, something's wrong. I'm going to go do it. Like people do stuff and like the, the, the reasonings for doing it, it all makes sense. And it brought me around. And like, even with the King and his son, like you have to rule the way I do. And I like the idea that he's maybe passing away soon and he has to get him to promise each day before he passes away that he'll do what his father, the, as the ruler has done years and years and years. And I've seen like, there's a loophole that somebody's trying to get, him away like if we can break the the cycle of promises every night until and the father passes away then he doesn't have to do what he says there's a lot of little mysteries that i'm very interested in and like the mother and also the the gardener the gardener once again when the gardener gets stuff thrown in his face he's like i've been loyal haven't i like it's very realistic dialogue for a fairy tale book at times so that's that's what i liked about it the only thing is man we're going to find out that the bandage man is like magic out the wazoo, right? That's the one, that's the one thing that we know. And I, I just, I'm like, I hope they, they swerve on me some point because that feels like where we're heading. Uh, I feel the magic or the bandage man is going to be some sort of thing where he is magic or has magic inside of him mm -hmm. and constantly is fighting against the magic inside of him. Right. It's the, whatever he is, he doesn't want to be a part of. Right. He is the thing that he hates the most. Right. Because supposedly it maybe killed his family. I have this weird theory that he's a vampire because they mentioned vampires a couple of times and he's all bandaged up so the sun can't get him kind of a thing. I don't know, but that's my, my weird theory, but I, I'm looking forward to find out what his deal is. So I'm, I've come around on wind. I'm glad I didn't stop after one issue, but we both have this, you know, thing. I believe that, you know, when you're a writer that you really, really like, you have to, you have to give them more than one shot, you know? Yeah, for sure. So. So that's uh, what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. I have a lot of things open here, so I apologize. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, uh, you can find a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, whether you're waiting for everything to just be graphic novels from here on out. You might have to wait a little while. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, you can also find what Todd and I are getting this week, also with us attempting to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am still ahead by one correct guess, and I have a feeling uh, there may not be any movement on the board this week. 
as I think the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is the new Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips graphic novel, Pulp from Image Comics. It is the book I'm looking forward to the most. I mean, as we discussed early on, you know, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, I'll follow him anywhere. So is the book you're looking forward to most also the the Pulp hardcover? Of course. Absolutely. 100%. Cannot stress that enough. Very excited uh, for this. It did get delayed, of course. It was supposed to be out in April. It is finally here. And that just means, uh, you know, I'm going to have to devote a lot of time to reading one big giant book before the show next week. And I'm sure we'll try to fit one or two other things in there, looking at you, Suicide Squad, and so forth. (laughs) Right. Oh, and uh, related but unrelated. I look at your list, uh, and I see uh, that Texas Blood uh, is on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The not uh, Sean Phillips' relation, the other guy doing the book. Right. Was recently on the Dana Gould podcast, talking about his entry into... Hollywood, the business, writing, etc. Oh, that's cool. And it was a very interesting conversation. So, uh, yeah, that's it. It was uh, one of the more recent times where Dana Gould had a guest on. And I'm like, oh, I'm already ahead of the curve on this one, you know? You're welcome, Joe. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Todd. Uh, you're always right. helping me be ahead of the curve as it's flattening behind me. <laughs> there you go. Due to my that's immense cool. girth. I was going to say, that's because we're so heavy, it has to flatten. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that exists over there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, past episodes of At Oz With Wrestling, because I'm too lazy to buy a separate redirect URL. (laughs) Did you know I looked into how much Jerry.tv was, and it's very expensive. Oh, really? Yes, very expensive. It's like three grand for a joke. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would be worth it. Anyway, uh, you can find that. You can also find our store where you can purchase shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on those already made, sitting in my house, ready to be sent to you for a nominal fee. If you want even more designs based on things said on this show, things said on After Dark, things said on At Odds the Wrestling, things said on Final Wrestling Place, you can go over to our T Public store where you can purchase those logos on a variety of pro- uh, products. Everything from shirts to stickers to masks to phone covers to wall tapestries, all manner of forth and so ons and whatevers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also help us out by signing up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month, you get two bonus shows from Todd and I, one where we talk about this month 30 years ago in the previews catalog and going through the film viewer of Mel Brooks. We've already bu- begun discussion what is going to fill that movie slot for 2021, and the answer, eh, I don't know, might shock you, might not shock you, <laughs> who knows. Uh, the previews one were good until like mid-2022, so we don't got any time to think about that until then. Uh, but for $5 a month, you get those two shows two weeks before everyone else, plus you get After Dark like three days before everyone else. And of course, the easiest way to assist us that does not cost you anything extra, which is making any and all of your Amazon purchases through our Amazon click-through that is over at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. They, I call it the thing that makes Todd happy when he gets his cut of the money at the end of the month. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include lots and lots of comics. Ooh. Somebody purchased the Mighty Thor Omnibus Volume 3. Somebody purchased Ninjak Volume 4. Somebody purchased Green Lantern Volume 2. I'm pretty sure that's the Grant Morrison deal. Okay. Uh, someone purchased... Green Lantern, 80 Years of the Emerald Knight Deluxe Edition. Somebody purchased the Kindle edition of Solo, a Star Wars story, expanded edition. I hate to tell you, they just took the novelization of of Spaceballs and just wrote (laughs) Han Solo on the cover. I'm sorry you had to find out this way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Somebody also, not me, purchased not one but two different packs of compression knee braces. Oh. Uh, I felt the goo foot coming back this weekend, Todd. <laughs> and no. I, I, I preemptively struck it down with the side of my hand. Oh, like a mountain? That's right. I was ready for it. Raise a little sand when you're done. I said, no, you goo foot. You stay away. <laughs> oh. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did. Rebecca's art sent in uh, that Rebecca did a Christmas in July, and it's a penguin on a beach in a beach chair under a big Christmassy umbrella, which makes me feel good because it's been so hot around here lately. So seeing a, you know, a Christmassy piece makes me happy. Um, also Matt Turner sent in, uh, that his daughter Lily was paying tribute to Jack, the King Kirby, and she did a mad bomb take of the cap, the cover, and also did a silver surfer, which there's a piece next to it, a Jack Kirby piece. I really hope Matt Turner owns an actual Jack Kirby sketch because then he has something to send his kid to college on. Well, That's I've known uh, Matt for a long time, and I've known his daughter since she was a baby. So seeing her all grown up makes me feel like even older than I already am, which is pretty, pretty old, pretty, pretty old. Right. Um, so if our hearts can hold out, we'll most likely see her drawing our comics that we'll be reviewing in the future. John. Absolutely. Um, also, good buddy, our good buddy DJ sent in this uh, this week. A, he was super pumped about an, a piece of art that was from the Versus card game featuring Mr. Sensitive and Orphan uh, from the best X-Force run ever, Ecstatic. Uh, I don't know what any of that is because uh, I never read that version of X-Force. But uh, I didn't even know about the – I kind of knew about the Versus card game, but I've never – seen any of the original art from it that's really cool that and yes that is a very cool piece uh and i do like that he is giving him the nerve pinch and i'm almost certain that no vulcan was the third summer's brother excuse me uh but yeah that (laughs) x-force ecstatic run by peter milligan and uh mike allred is really really good that (laughs) came out at the time when cable got renamed as soldier x Right. And Deadpool was renamed something. I forget. I yeah, wasn't he was Deadpool. Something else. And everyone's like, well, it's because they lost the rights and they're fighting with the Rob or something like that. It was like, nope. We just decided to do something different with it. And then they changed it to Ecstatic because Marvel decided, like, hey, let's not have this X Force property, which is actually worth money, this branding. Uh, in a very graphic and gory, violent, 
drug and sex fueled comic book. <laughs> oh, Disney bought a prize there. They certainly did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and finally, we have from Fred Chamberlain, he sent in this Spider-Man piece of Spider-Man being chased by the third best rogues gallery in comics, while uh, by Paul Pelletier, which he says the fact that he isn't doing a book is a crime. Uh, And I agree. That is, I look at that Spider-Man, and I'm not the Spider-Man guy on the show, but that's the, like, that's that's a perfect Peter Parker Spider-Man. And all the villains behind him are like, the quintessential look for all of them so i can't argue with anything that he says there and uh, if fred wants to drop that piece off uh i i hear our mutual friend josh has a very nice storage setup at his home mm-hmm. definitely not break inable mm-hmm. by ne'er-do-wells <laughs> uh but if fred wants to drop that off or just send me his address just for no reason leave that out on his porch you know Right. These are things that he could do because that is a beautiful piece. And yes, right. uh, Paul Pelletier should be on something, uh, if not a Spider-Man book, something really good. Right. I think he uses that for the doormat in front of his house. So you'd just be able to swing by and pick it up, Joe. Oh, good. I do need something to replace my go-away doormat. Ah, with no really go-away doormat. No, go-away. <laughs> and then Hacky went and put it in his house. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's all. Thank you, everyone, uh, for contributing the arts. Uh, glad to see people getting some purchases or just getting around to sharing their purchases with us. Or uh, like Matt with his daughter, Lily, who is practicing her craft, uh, as well as uh, anyone else out there practicing their craft, Rebecca, and on down the list. We love to share your art with our listeners, followers, social media, etc., etc. So, last but not least, of course, we have the latest episode of Stargirl to discuss. So, if you have not seen it as it airs on the CW as we record this, perhaps you have not gotten a chance to watch it yet. And I say shame. You should. It's not the correct listening order, but it is what it is. Uh, We're going to take a second here so I can take a uh, a sip of water and we can talk about the latest episode of Stargirl. So I thought this was a good episode with a lot of bad stuff in it. Really? Define bad. Like bad things happening like to people? I don't like all the, ju- uh, the Justin Shining Knight stuff. Oh my god! Okay. Don't we'll like have it. stuff to discuss here. And the second Courtney's dad showed up, I knew he was a grifter. Um... And it made me sad because I knew Courtney was going to fall for it. And then Courtney did fall for it. And it did give her that big emotional moment uh, with uh, Luke Wilson doing his best David Arquette impersonation. So silver lining there. And I will also say, sadly, while we are getting a big power play in the Injustice Society, whither my gambler, is he off filming some Adam Sandler film, I hope? (laughs) He hasn't been around. The Fiddler just has disappeared. Uh, the Sportsmaster and uh, his wife, they're just gone. Do they only have enough budget for three villains per episode? Or are they waiting for like some sort of big to-do where they all get to stand next to each other at the end of next week's episode to lead into the penultimate, or to, in, to the final episode? It's just like, we only have three villains in the show at any time. Pick what ones you want. 
Well, I do think the fiddler was actually in this episode during the uh, the where uh, Brainwave gives the the thing to school about his son being dead, and he's talking to Courtney in her in his brain. I think the principal is sitting, and that's the fiddler, right? Yeah, but she ain't doing like villainy stuff, you right? Know? She ain't fiddling, is what you're saying. Yeah, she ain't fiddling, just in her seat. But uh, the my take on this this to me was the all around best episode of the entire run. I was blown away by this episode. I love Justin. I think, and I I may get flack for this, but I think his stuff being the ad, like the adult, but being like intense, him trying to remember is he's the opposite of brainwave junior. I think he's probably the best that I've seen on this, this series so far. I love all the Justin stuff. I love, I like, obviously we were supposed to get an idea that Courtney's father's a grifter from this. He shows up on a bus with a giant duffel bag. If that doesn't scream grifter, you know what I mean? Going from town to town, like, it, that's cool. And the whole scene where he sits down and has the chat with the lockets, it was it was panel for panel, almost word for word, Courtney on the front porch talking to her father about the lockets. And that was soul crushing. And then when she goes in and she hugs Pat and Barbara slash Amy Smart sees that, like... That's the moment she no longer thinks Starman's her father. Even this new dirtbag who showed up, she realizes he isn't his father. Pat's the best thing that's ever happened to her. And to me, I thought that was one of, like, such an emotional scene that it was amazing. For sure. Very earned scene in the show. Um, But I, as it was happening, I wanted uh, Pat or Courtney or someone to, like, tell this guy to hit the bricks. So, like, obviously we get the moment where he's leaving town and Pat gets to deck him. Because I'm so attached to Courtney, I didn't want that moment with the locket to happen. Obviously, you mentioned it's from the comic book, so it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to say that it's, like, poetry, so it rhymes. But in this case, it's good that they did that homage, and especially, as you're saying, that it was, like, line for line from the comic. Mm-hmm. And and my thing is when Pat goes to talk to him afterwards and like to me and all this, like Pat's been obviously he built the, the the armor and all that. And that's great. And he's been a mentor, but he's been kind of a joke. So when he goes up to him and he's like, leave and he's like, I wasn't I'm not ever coming back. And you're like, oh, I hate this guy. Like, oh, I just hate him so much. And then finally, when he like besmirches Barbara's name and he Pat just hauls off and decks him and the line of he's like you're lucky I'm very busy right now and I'm like that's right like Pat maybe compared to everybody else in the in the justice society not the top league but he'll wipe the floor with that guy and I was like I just loved it I I marked out on all that so uh so like I said it was a, it was a good episode with bad bits I'm glad you're liking the Justin stuff I'm not liking the Justin stuff at all mm-hmm he seems like such a washout, such a wimp, such a nuisance, such a liability that once the revelation happens and then he's going to become this, like, either he's going to become this great champion to help everyone or he's going to fake it and, like, be a bumbling fool on the uh, the battlefield. 
I don't like it. I liked it better when it was just the kids. Right. Which is funny because, um, once again, this is another thing that's taken right from the story is, uh, uh, the stars of striped is is shining night i think once he nights up and he's got the horse and everything i don't think they're gonna make him a bumbling idiot i think he's gonna be the hero and i i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna love it i i i get that they can't have him be the seven soldiers of victory guy right out of the gate or he's just gonna march in and help take them down you know what i mean then it's not courtney's show mm-hmm. so i get you you just think they booked them wrong. That's all. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're booking him to be put in a position where he's either going to be made to look a fool or look stronger than the leads of our shows who have been more established and deserve the rub more than him. Right. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's still good. I-, I still like the show. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to watch these last two episodes because, bleh, you know. I think you are checking out. I think you're done. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So I think that's it as we're getting ready for this uh, last two things. We didn't get a chance to watch the Todd McFarlane thing. I was busy. Uh, Todd was busy. Not Todd McFarlane. Shadow Todd (laughs) that's on this show. That's right. And, uh, yeah. Is there anything else that we need to cover? Anything I forgot? Anything else Mm. we can close out with? Nope, I think that's everything. All right. Well, for Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening to episode 513 of Longbox Heroes, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.